Welcome to Charlotte Mason Says. I'm John Schindel, here with my wife, Crystal. Join us as we read and discuss the home education series. Welcome back. Well, hi, John. Welcome back. Hi, Crystal. Well, welcome back. So the last time we sat down and recorded was over a month ago. Yeah. Because we recorded before you left, which was on the 14th you left of June. So the last time we sat down and recorded, I think, was either the 10th or the 11th of June. So it has been way over a month since we sat down and discussed. And during that time, we moved from Virginia to Idaho. So Crystal and I and our group of children now live in Boise, Idaho. And I learned that you pronounce Boise, Boise, not Boise, because, I don't know. I think it's French something. Sure, Boise. But yeah, so we now are in Boise, and and it's taken us some time to get here and get set up, but we now have a quasi-dedicated studio. It is our office slash library. I'm very excited. I have four bookshelves, five bookshelves in here, most of which are mostly full. Yeah, they're already (laughs) full, so we're going to end up probably getting more bookshelves. Yep. There's a little bit of space. Actually, there's a a decent amount of space. There's not that much space. Not with how quickly you fill up bookshelves. All right, well, I don't really know. I don't know. What else to talk about. So I guess we can just dive right into our next discussion, which is chapter 16 discipline, which Charlotte Mason says is a serious study for parents. So it was very interesting because later on she references something from chapter nine. And so I went back and I was like, wait a sec. If you take out chapters 10 through 15, her basically her reviews and her one on Bible lessons, we're picking right back up from where we stopped at chapter nine. So in my book, I wrote a note that says, skip to chapter 16 disciplines. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Because as you're reading it, you're you're going and you're going and you're going, and then you have this break. Hmm. And so oh, I I think I think you said if you were gonna edit this book, you would move those to somewhere else. I did say that because those that set of chapters seems like they could either be interspersed throughout. Or placed at the back or somewhere else so that these two chapters, which very directly relate to one another, could be next to one another. So that you read the first one. Oh, what, what was what was that chapter? What was the heading on that uh, one? Culture of character. It was the culture of character. So it was talking about how to grow children's character and how to shape their character and mold them and form them and why it's important. The first one was uh, chapter eight's parents as trainers and chapter nine is treatment of defects. Right. And so then chapter 10 is not discipline. So you have to go to chapter 16 to get discipline. Right. But but discipline seems like it would follow directly after chapters eight and nine because it's a continuation of the thought. A logical progression. Right. And I want to say 17 was a was a pretty close follow up too, although I, I don't. I don't read remember it. exactly. I don't remember what I read. Right, I was. I tried to pay attention while I was editing it, but still, that was a week ago. So, so chapter sixteen, then. Chapter sixteen. <laughs> so the the thing I thought was interesting is that she starts off the question of discipline, and first she says discipline is not punishment, and she starts with this question, which is, what part does discipline play in your system of education? And she starts off by saying, all right, now hold up. Before we talk about discipline, first we need to define system of education. And she says, we don't have a system of education. We have a method of education. And so she spends the next couple pages defining the difference between a system and a method. You want Webster? Uh, Sure. I, I just, I thought it was fascinating that in the question of discipline, she went to she she went to defining a different term first. I wonder if she had gotten this question a number of times before writing this article. I could believe it. 
because it, it's it's a it's almost a two part. You know, what part does discipline play in your system of education? Right. And so she's answering the what is our system of education first, and then applying how discipline is interwoven. Right. Because the two are are very closely linked. So a system is a set of principles or procedures according to which something is done, an organized scheme. A method is a particular form of procedure for accomplishing or approaching something, especially a systematic or established one. Orderliness of thought or behavior. Interesting. So the system is the set of procedures. Mm -hmm. A method is a form of procedure for accomplishing something. Right. And so what she says here is she says that we have a method of education. It's true, but method is no more than a way to an end, and it's free, yielding, and adaptive as nature itself. It has few comprehensive laws. System, on the contrary, has an infinity of rules and instructions. And I, as many times I've read this, I always want to say has an infinite, an infinite number, because that's what I would have said. <laughs> so system has an infinity of rules and instructions as to what you are to do and how you are to do it. Method in education follows nature humbly, stands aside, and gives her fair play. So I, I, I thought it was interesting. And and we can go, we can continue going into this and the difference between a method and a system. But I thought it was fascinating that that's just, that's square one here is let's get on the same page as to what we're actually doing. Mm-hmm. And then she gives an example. So she gives her, her definitions of method and system. And then she gives an example of children or even kittens and their capacity for inventive play. And where the system says, okay, I'll invent the games for the child and you can play them, child. And so he does and he likes it. But then when he's done, if there's no other game to play, he doesn't play. But if he's allowed to involve himself and create his own games, then he always has the capacity to create games. Yeah. So I was actually thinking about this in terms of Legos. Because I don't sit down at a pile of Legos and go, oh my goodness, this is so exciting. I go, where are the instructions? <laughs> where Where's my set of things that I can build? Can tell me tell me what to build. Interesting. And, and it's something I've known for a long time. I mean, my brothers and I, we grew up with Legos and mom actually bought her own Legos that we could all play <laughs> with from somebody. It was like these big tubs. So that Derek and Alex could have their own and not have to share them. Right. But at the same time, I'm still like, okay, I don't, I don't play with Legos. I, I build the thing I'm supposed to build. So. Hmm. Well, and that's <gasps> that's interesting. I know, I know. I always used the instructions as a starting point to look at what cool things they've decided to do with stuff and how they built things. And then you take some, you take, you take what ideas were there and you run with something else. See, I always, I always thought it was kind of a a builder mindset uh, and, and more of a, because you're an engineer. It's you, you design things. Mm -hmm. And I, I always thought it was more of that mindset, but I'm wondering if it's more of that's what I became accustomed to. Was following the instructions. Was following the instructions. So the uh, inventive play in Lego is not in me. That could be very true. And so you were crippled by the use of the instructions. Yeah. As opposed to just dump they, a pile they were of Legos the, on the They were floor. the system that says, here's a game for you to play. And then you played it. And as soon as you were done with the building of the thing, you were now done with the Legos and it was over. Yeah. I mean, I could take it down and build it again, but... But why would you build anything else? Yeah. So there's me. I'm a rule follower. Now, I will say, I do the same with model... With, I built a lot of model cars and model planes when I was when I was in mostly high school, but a little bit of middle school, too. 
And with those, I never went off the beaten path, mainly because the pieces are designed to go together in such a way that they go together that way. Do you remember the Calvin and Hobbes one where he builds the model airplane wrong? Uh-huh. And and you get him as he's like, this isn't working. This isn't working as the pilot. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's <laughs> a good one. It's great. The, yeah, everything's falling apart. And then you see that it's his model airplane that he failed at. There was that one and then the one that he blows up the school in his model airplane. That one was fun. But yeah, no, in, in those, I followed the instructions to a T. But I know that there are people that don't. They buy they buy kits just to have the pieces and parts and then they play with them. Hmm. And and if you look at miniature builders for film, they just they buy model stuff and they just have racks and racks of the model pieces because they come in they come in like sheets sheets that are connected yeah that are all connected and so they'll just have sheets and sheets of pieces and then they'll get a job to build a thing you know thinking back to star wars we'll build a death star what does it look like well it's a death star what does the surface look like i don't know build it (laughs) and so they you know they were given a color palette it's going to be mostly grays and some whites and maybe a little black and so they just grabbed these sheets, spray painted the whole thing, and started putting stuff together. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And you just start gluing stuff on a thing. And and after after a while, you have the surface of the Death Star. There you go. And, and that's what it is. And that's how they built those models. And so that takes model building to a whole nother level that that I never went to. So, again, you have this principle of... I built model airplanes, but it was a system. I had to follow the instructions and the rules, and I I couldn't deviate from that. Whereas other people see the model airplane as a set of pieces that they can use for something else, that they can create something that becomes something else. Well, it says here, system is fussy and zealous and produces enormous results in the teacher. So in this instance, the teacher is the person who designed that yeah. model. Yeah. And so they have it and they've made it. See, I don't I don't think system's always bad to follow. No. But it's not as creative. And it doesn't allow for children to learn and take initiative and develop. So the next the next thing she says here is that uh, the children take initiative. But somehow the result here is not in the children, or it's in the children and not in the teacher. She says they develop, they become more and more persons daily. The wise passiveness. So this is a quote from Wordsworth, um, okay. William Wordsworth. The reason firm, the temperate will, endurance, foresight, strength, and skill. It's in a poem called, She Was a Phantom of Delight. So it's describing a woman but as as a almost ethereal version of a woman. Huh. The perfect woman nobly planned to warn, to comfort, and command, yet a spirit still and bright with something of angelic light. Hmm. So. Interesting. That was a... Uh, she The way that she gets quotes from poems is really weird. I, I Mind-blowing to me. Like, she'll pull out this very appropriate quote in this thing that I see had no connection to what she's talking about. But apparently there is. So. Or at least she she said she sees it. So then it seems like she so she's talked about method and system and how her approach is a method. She doesn't have prescriptive rules. She wants children to take initiative and do their own thing. And parents, the educator, needs to know the difference between nature's role and their role. Right. So then this uh, this person queries again, oh, you have no discipline. I thought not. Well, I, I guess it's very well to leave the kids and make them happy. They're always good when they're happy, right? No. <laughs> not so fast, dear reader. He who would follow a great leader must needs endeavor himself it's German. Yep, there's a German thing there. On a hast, on a rust. Without haste, but without rest. 
Oh. This is by Goethe, who she quoted in chapter eight also. And the only thing I can think of as you say that is the line from Ramstein's song, Du Hasht. I wonder what that means. I don't know. I don't know if I want to know. <laughs> uh, so, not so fast, dear reader. He who would follow a great leader must needs endeavor himself without haste, without rest. And the divine lead, which we call nature, is infinitely blessed in the following. But the way is steep to tread and hard to find. It's like, it's not easy. It's not easy. Just because it sounds easy, you know, you follow nature. No, this is not easy. It's not easy. There's no rest. You can't do it quickly. You've got to, you got to set the plow and go. So this next little section is my new favorite quote. The parent who would educate his child, his children in any large sense of the word must lay himself out for high thinking and lowly living. The highest thinking indeed possible to the human mind and the simplest, directest living. Hmm. We've been getting into the, the minimalist mindset for a number of years now where you, you have what you need and that's all you need to have. That's it. And that that clears your space, that clears mm-hmm. your mind, that clears that that paves the way for more to happen. Right. It it's not that minimalism is a end all to be all. It is a tool to use to live the best life that you can. Mm-hmm. And that's what she's saying here. She's saying live the simplest, directest life, lowly living, and high thinking. And that's the best thing you can do for your children. Interesting. I didn't make that connection. I, I this is, this has been, that that caught my mind and I've been thinking about, that. hey, that's an idea <laughs> that has. Wait, did that idea did take seed? it me? It seized <laughs> you? Did it, did it move you to action and thought? I haven't acted on it yet. Well, that's true. To a certain or, extent, or I already have acted on. It. I was going to say, this is just a. Uh, it's a retelling, concise, and concise explanation in this in the uh, arena of education. Right, because I mean, we went through. What was it the Konmari? Mm-hmm. We went through through her book. Four, it was in Texas was four years ago now. Twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen. No, that was when we moved to Texas. It was summer of 13. No, it was 16. Right. Because we moved 16. 17. Yeah. And it's 19, so that was three years ago now. So we went through that a little bit because it did strike you and it did catch you. Mm-hmm. And so here it is again and you're seeing it and it, it, re, it rekindled that idea in you. Yeah. Interesting. Ideas are powerful. Oh, the other thing I, I thought of as as you were talking was, and again, I'm going to make a movie reference, and I, I can't remember the name of the movie. You have your computer. I'm going to look real quick. The, it reminded me of a Tim Allen movie, but it's for richer or poorer. And it's a story about a uh, New York real estate hustler and his wife who get framed for something. And so they have to go they decide to run away and hide from the IRS. So they hide in Amish country. Amish? Amish, Amish. Amish. So they run away and they hide in Amish country and try and blend in. And he says that he's a a long lost relative of a cousin of somebody. And, and the the one scene I, I remember specifically talking about this idea of it's not, it's not easy. It's not quick and you have to slow down and just do it, is he had a plot of land that he needed to plow. And he had a horse, donkey, ox, animal, whatever it was, to pull his plow. And he had to he had to plow it and seed it. And being a New York person and thinking this work was below him, he plowed it as fast as he possibly could. And so at the end, he, he thought he was good, and he, you know, finished plowing and kind of climbs up the hill next to him to, to look at the other guy. And he's like, oh, 
the other guy's only a quarter of the way done. I'm so great. And he looks back at his, at his field and, and the, the lines are all crooked and jagged and nothing straight. And, and some of the other Amish guys come over and look at it and go, Oh, so you think you're done. Okay, cool. And they, and they just leave him be. And so the, this guy, he has to realize that, no, if you're doing this work, you have to do it right. And to do it right, you have to take your time and you have to do it slowly and you have to really work to do it right. And it's, it's work and it's effort. But when you put in the effort and when you take the time to do it right, you have straight rows and then things can grow well. Hmm. And so the same idea here is, yeah, you can try and do discipline and education quickly. You can try and cram it all in and, and speed up the process and you'll, you'll plow lines that you'll you'll plow the field you'll learn stuff but it won't be good and you won't make the right connections so with discipline and education again you have to do it slowly you have to do it methodically you have to be patient with it and it's hard work well tagging off of that going back to the system of education in the united states they're it's all everything is speeding up yep. everything is pushing ahead to ages where it's in a age inappropriate mm-hmm. and there are educational experts saying no guys we this is too much this yep. is too far and and you know you hear about the the kindergarten readiness from today versus the kindergarten readiness from 50 years ago and the, the, the report cards that the kindergartners would bring home. Can she cut with scissors? Yep, she can cut with scissors. Now it's, can she read? That's interesting to to tie all that together. Yeah. And it's not something I thought of until I made an offhand comment about plowing. And I went, oh, oh the scene popped into my head. Ideas. They get formed deeply. <laughs> the seed popped in your head. <laughs> it did. It did. Okay, so then she moves on to talking about what discipline kind of is not. Um, she thinks she says the thought of discipline, for example, is one of the large comprehensive ideas which must inform and direct life, rather than to be gathered up into a rule. The rule of Tommy Snotty, you whip him, you send him to bed. That doesn't take into account anything. That's what a lot of people mean by discipline. And she says, you know, that's really punishment. She's saying, not that punishment is never to be used, very much otherwise. Neither would we say that physic, which I've never seen that word used like that before. Nope. Physic is never to be taken, so I had to look it up. Physic is a medicine, especially a cathartic. And a cathartic is providing physiological relief through the open expression of strong emotions. Oh, interesting. So... Um, But punishment, uh, so psychological relief. So punishment and psychological relief are two things. But they're are medicine for that, I guess. Mm -hmm. But they should be occasional occurrence. And they reduce in proportion as we secure healthy conditions of body and mind. Mm -hmm. And then she references Mr. Herbert Spencer again. Um, He was both in the preface and in chapter 12, the English philosopher, uh, biologist, anthropologist, sociologist, and a political theorist. And he he developed an all-embracing conception of evolution as the progressive development of the physical world. Hmm. So, Mr. Herbert Spencer has not perhaps said the last word, I think, is meaning that there's there might be more evolutions of this as it goes forward. Sure. Yeah, she says, yeah, he's he has not perhaps said the last word, but he has given us a quite convenient rule to go on with. So we're going to come up with something else maybe that might be better. But this is what we've got right now, and it's pretty darn good. So is that this, what she says next, a child should be punished by the natural consequences of his offense? I don't know. I didn't dive that deeply. That's what I'm going to assume. 
So she says to carry this out by the letter. I'm guessing that's the translation there. It's technically on the foot of the letter. Okay, so to carry out the suggestion on the foot of the letter. Or to take literally. Right. Would often enough mean lasting even fatal injury to the child, bodily and mentally. You can't let that happen. You cannot let the, she says, you cannot let the indolent child be punished by ignorance or willful and adventurous child break a limb. Now, I slightly disagree with the break a limb part because. Uh, To a certain extent. To to, to a certain extent. My thought is uh, my little brother at one point had some friends over and he decided to jump out the second story window. And so he did. And he was fine because he's an athletic type of person. Well, one of his friends decided to jump down. And what did she do? She just jumped down. And how did she try to land? Straight legged. And what did she do? Well, she fell over and she broke her arm. So what did she learn? Don't jump out of the second story window. I'm pretty sure she learned that lesson. And the next lesson also might have been, if your friends are telling you to do something stupid... It's okay to not do the stupid thing. Because remember the time you broke your arm? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it. yes, you don't want... You, you want to have your child avoid hurting himself greatly that would impair him for the rest of his life. At the same time, breaking a limb is not the end of the world now. Well, it's, it's like saying, you know, don't dive into shallow water. Right. You'll certainly learn your lesson, but you might be paralyzed for the rest of your life. So that's, 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 I think, more where she's going. Yeah. I just, I, the child break a limb made me remember yep. that about <laughs> my brother and the fact that his friend, she probably remembered forever to not jump out of a second story window. Well, and, and it's hard to find natural consequences uh, tangible natural consequences and and this is this is one of the i guess tenets of uh the gentle parenting philosophy is allow the natural consequences to mm-hmm. be the consequence mm-hmm. but I, if your child is being rude and mean to other kids the natural consequence is kids won't play with him yeah which you can let that that go out or you can call them back and be like, hey, this is going to happen. Right. Um, the whole, you know, you don't eat your porridge, you're not going to get your plum. Mm-hmm. That's not a quote unquote natural consequence. The natural consequence is you're hungry and you don't, you're, you're not full. But if, if your meal includes the plum, then you eat the plum, but not the porridge. Right. But the natural or the. The close natural consequence, she's saying, is, you know, you eat your porridge first and then you get your plum. Right. So. It makes sense. It's, it's hard to quantify sometimes in in a way that especially young children understand. Right. And I think, I think as children get older, this idea becomes more applicable because she says... And maybe she's not said it yet. She says something like a simple slap. That's coming up. That's coming up. Okay. So, I mean, she's talked specifically about dealing with a baby's behavior and how you do differently with a baby than you do an older child. Well, it, honestly, even today, we're what we do on Saturday morning, because we're recording on Saturday, we eat pancakes and eggs. That's just what we eat on Saturday. And in order to slow our children down, and it, it goes both ways, we make them alternate between the pancake and the egg, mm-hmm. the scrambled eggs. And you were trying to do that with Isaac and Lily this mm-hmm. morning, and they don't understand that yet. Right. They they're get getting it. there. Well, and but the, they're not quite there yet. So the interesting thing was, is they hadn't, they haven't ever figured that out until today. I was with Isaac and. Like, you need to finish your eggs before you can have a pancake. And he's pushing his eggs away, asking for a pancake. It's like, well, okay, no. And so I put the pancake on his plate. And then I had eggs on his fork. And I said, you must eat this before you get that. Because then he saw, okay, 
the pancake is on my plate. It is mine. <laughs> but dad is telling me I need to eat this first. So he took the bite. Okay. Now with Lily, I did the exact <laughs> same thing. I was like, oh man, it worked so great with Isaac. <laughs> what did she do? Pancake was on her plate. Eggs are on the fork. Put it up to her mouth. She pushes the fork away. It's like, oh, come on. It just worked with your brother. You just saw this happen. So I took the pancake away and put it back on the plate. I was like, fine. You're not going to eat your eggs. You don't get the pancake. She proceeded to eat all of her eggs. <laughs> Twins are interesting. Yeah. Every person is unique. And there's no easier way to see that with two people that are exactly the same age who have grown up with almost exactly the same rules and requirements in the exact same place with the exact same parents not even different stages of life were they grew up with us at the same because because that's the one thing you can say with siblings that have space in between them it's like well they had the same parents yeah but they were at a different stage of life that mm -hmm. was a third kid instead of the second kid there's a big difference there it's like no they're the same kid number they're both kid number four together four a four b <laughs> they're both number four and yet they're so different in the way that they receive instruction and discipline. So anyway, plug for having twins. Or is it a plug for not having twins? <laughs> or is it a plug for find a friend who has twins and be fascinated by them from a distance? I think that's what I would go with. Yeah, what I always say is I, I love them. I love watching them. I love watching them grow. I love watching them interact. I do not wish twins on anyone. Yep. It's hard. Yeah. Okay, let's climb that uh, steep uphill tread. So she takes a little tangent and says, you know, one of the reasons that punishments don't actually work is because kids enjoy them. And it took me a bit to wrap my mind around this. <laughs> like, okay, kids enjoy them. Um, no. <laughs> they hurt. They're not good. But it, 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 she's saying it gives them a chance to show their mettle, to, to, to test themselves mm -hmm. against a hardship, which, like she said, there's not many tangible ways to do that. The stories always have it because you have your, your arc. You have your person who starts at the beginning. Mm -hmm. They run into obstacles and then they solve it. And there's your, there's your arc. Mm -hmm. Because it's a, not a very good story if there's no, uh, problem right if everything was perfect back to what you're saying if there's no death star if there's no empire then everyone doesn't have a star wars story mm -hmm. because a star war depends on the bad guys yeah and yes it was originally titled a star war until someone saw it and was like seriously george no not a star war <laughs> something better yeah a star so we war. went to star wars <laughs> Which is like miles better than a Star War. That's true. Anyway, <laughs> random aside. So but, it was. It was but yeah, without without going through hardship. Yeah, there's nothing to test your metal against. And if you live a pretty cushy life, that might be one of the only things to test your metal against. It's one of the reasons that boys will fight each other, it's just so that they can have something to fight, so that they can see who would win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, to a certain extent, I, and it, I wouldn't say it's every child, and I wouldn't say it's every punishment, be, uh, because I didn't like getting punished. It's the idea of, I'll, I'll stand up and take my weapons. Right. To where? It's the idea of knowing knowing that there will be consequences for your actions, and following through with those actions anyway, knowing that you'll have to take it. Yeah. And so when it comes to taking those consequences... You take them standing up, knowing that you fully deserve them. Yeah. And there's value in learning that lesson in life. And that's what she says. Because there will come a time when you might decide to break the rules. And if you break the rules unknowingly, if you break the rules ignorant of what the consequence will be, then the consequence is going to knock you on your butt because you're not expecting it. But if you know what it's going to be, if you make a conscious choice... To break the rules, knowing full well what the consequences will be, then you made a value proposition in your head. You've decided to break the rules because it's the the 
potential gain of breaking the rule is more valuable than the sure consequence will be. Well, skipping ahead a little, she says, the experience of each of us goes to prove that every breach of law in thought or deed is attended by its own penalties, Mm -hmm. immediate or remote. And the child not brought up to know that do follows deed in course is sent out to his first campaign undrilled and untrained, Mm -hmm. a raw recruit. So what you're saying is the people who go through this and consciously make the decision are trained. Right. And drilled. And they understand that. They understand that for every action there is an there is a reaction. There is a consequence. Yeah. And every time you every time you go outside of what is right or what is legal or what is what you should do, there is a consequence for it. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, there's, there's, there's still value to learning that. All right. So, anyway. Well, this is where she talks about the, smart, uh, the light smart slap. Yeah. With which a mother visits the little child when he's naughty is often both effective and educative. It changes the baby's thoughts and he no longer wishes to pull his sister's hair. But she's saying, you know, this should... But should it not be a last resort? Yeah. Where, you know, distraction first, telling them, talking to them, mm-hmm. hey, if if you continue with this, this is what's going to happen. And, and this, I underline this part, where the difference between the younger and the older. So the younger, the baby, is um, associating... The culprit's thoughts with, I do this, this hurts. I do this, it's attached to a certain form of wrongdoing, and a certain pain and penalty happens. Right. Where with an older child, you want to form uh, new ideas and change the thoughts Mm -hmm. as opposed to just this equals this. Associating the thoughts. Yeah. Right. And I think to a certain extent, what you said, you said it just a little bit earlier where you, you talk them through it and you go, okay, you have a choice to make. You can either choose to do this or that. And if you choose to do this, the consequence will be whatever it is, mm-hmm. a spanking, timeout, uh, the light, smart slap, what, whatever that discipline is that, that you decide or punishment, whatever that punishment is that you have decided to use for that infraction, you can tell the child that. Look, if you pull your sister's hair again, you're going to be sent to timeout. Mm-hmm. So you can make that choice. And if you choose to pull your sister's hair, then you have chosen to go into timeout. Yep. And then you, when the child decides to do that thing again, you're going into timeout now. We're following through on what I told you would happen because you decided to do that thing. It's not that I want to put you in timeout. It's not that I want to punish you. You have chosen. You are going to reap the consequences. That's why I'm very careful <laughs> mentally to to give. Uh, ult- if I give an ultimatum, it's something I will follow through with. I was, I was talking to someone at work about that. He's like, my wife keeps giving ultimatums for things that I want to do. <laughs> like, if you keep doing this thing... We're not going to the water park later. Oh, but honey, I wanted to go to the water park. <laughs> you know they're going to keep doing it. Stop doing that. <laughs> if you keep acting up at this restaurant, we will never come here again. No, no, no. I like this place. This is, oh, we're never coming here again. <sighs> but the question is, does she follow through? According or, to him, yes. Oh, really? Because <laughs> he's like, there are restaurants we just don't go to anymore. And I liked some of them. Oh, that's rough. <laughs> Kudos to her for following through, though. Right? But also it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I try really hard, you know, you know. And we've done this, you know. If you continue doing that, we will pull over. We have pulled over on mm-hmm. the side of the road to well, deal with stuff. Well, and we've said a couple times, we'll be at a place. And all right, if this continues, uh, we used to go to uh, my my mom and aunt's house every Sunday afternoon. And I think I, I think I threatened once with, if you guys continue this, we're not going there. 
and the words came out of my mouth and I went, no, <laughs> because going out there was a break for us because it was a big house. There was lots to do. It was wonderful. And, and I knew that if we were stuck at home, this thing that was we were dealing with would just continue. And it was one of those the words come out and you just want to grab them and pull them back and shove them back into your stupid pie hole. <laughs> but no, we didn't go over that day and it sucked because the consec or the ultimatum I laid out was a terrible one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember that. Now, you might not have even been around for that one. I I just I or or it or I made I made it and they knew I would follow through with it and so they didn't and we only had so long left until we had to leave. So our contention is twofold. A. Okay. It's twofold. Do one and two, not A and B. Well, but what would it be? Our contention is alphanumerically A and B? I don't know, but still. It's twofold. A. (laughs) The need for punishment is mostly preventable. And the fear of punish, or I'm sorry, B, the fear of punishment is hardly ever so strong a motive as the delight in the particular wrongdoing in view. And that's what you touched on with when you know the consequences. Yeah. You make a value proposition. You make your your value proposition. Mm -hmm. And she is contending, we, we go on to contend that. It's mostly preventable because it's not reformative. Mm-hmm. If punishment was reformative, this would be an amazing world right? because we would have punished all the sin out of the world. Yeah. And it would be awesome. Yeah, but see our prison systems. But it doesn't work. Punishment doesn't solve all the problems. And it's not that it is unnecessary or useless, mm-hmm. but it's inadequate and doesn't touch our aim. Which is not the visitation for the offense, but the aim is the correction of that fault of character of which the offense is the outcome. Right. Again, it comes back to character. And the root cause and digging deep to find out what's really happening. Right. And that's really hard. It is. It's hard and it's frustrating. And she has an example of a boy telling lies. So the pun... No punishment could be invented drastic enough to cure him of his lies. And that's what we want to do. We want to cure him of telling lies. Yeah, which we're starting to deal with at this point. Yep. Lots of lying going on. We must find out what weak place in character, what false habit of thinking leads Jemmy to tell lies. And then deal with that one in the only way possible, which back to chapters... Uh, what's that? Eight and nine, forming the contrary habit of true yeah. thinking. And then she goes on. It's not the mere spurts of occasional punishment, but the incessant watchfulness and endeavor which go to the forming and preserving of habits of the good life. And that is what we mean by discipline. So she finally defines her term here. Yes, she finally did. And, and from this point of view, oh, questioner of me who says we have no discipline, <laughs> never were there such disciplinarians as parents who labor on the lines that we would indicate. Oh, seriously. Every habit is a schoolmaster. Well, and she talked about this way early on, and I really wish I had my book right now, but she, she talked about the the daughter who's not afraid of her mother oh dear sweet mother would never you have it right in front of you oh right i do it's in the control Mm. f Mm. Uh, let's see so this is volume two page 12 i don't know what chapter it is though two okay she says rulers yeah but you are not afraid of me bessie no indeed who could be afraid of a dear sweet soft little mother like you and such praise is sweet in the ears of many a fond mother, hungering for the love and liking of her children, and not perceiving that words like these in the mouth of a child are as treasonable as words of defiance. And she touched on that in several places, where parents who aren't disciplining their children are not doing the child any favors. And they're not doing their job as a parent. And they're not doing their job as a parent. They're failing. 
So she finally defined her term. You're right. So the definition of discipline. The incessant watchfulness and endeavor which go into the forming and preserving of the habits of the good life is what we mean by discipline. Incessant watchfulness and endeavor. Incessant. Yes. That's quite the word. Yes. That's very, where does she say it? That's very steep way to tread. Uphill work. Incessant watchfulness and endeavor. Yeah, it it's true because we are pretty strict with our kids. Well, and and that goes back to why the the question of why are we homeschooling? Why are we not deputing that uh, office to somebody else? Yeah, is it because it's easy? No, no, it not at all. It's because the teacher with. 20 children that she doesn't know at the beginning of the year is not going to pay as close attention. Mm-hmm. And and as the year goes, and, and if you had a teacher who you knew who was going to be with the kids for an, a number of years, right. that's a different situation because then they, they can be a help to you. Mm-hmm. But the way it's set up right now is you, you have a random teacher assigned to you and they have them for one year. And through that year, they get to know them. Mm-hmm. But then they go to another stranger, another person that you don't you don't yeah. know. And and the teachers do care. A lot of them, yeah. And they want to change the children. They're That's... there to help and grow them. And they'll see things that we don't see. Oh, absolutely. But they also have a myriad of other responsibilities that lead them to not be able to do this incessant watchfulness responsibilities and rules and different a different set of goals a teacher's goals in the public school system is not necessarily the same as our goals as parents to our children yeah and again it goes it goes back to again if if your child is in the public school system that doesn't mean that you're a failure as a parent that doesn't mean your child is going to be terrible no that means that you're not in an ideal situation and you have to figure out how to make it work in that unideal situation. But none of us are in an ideal situation because we're just not. We're not ideal. We're not perfect. Mm-hmm. If we were perfect, then we would be in the ideal situation. Then I would have a cook. Well, there have been a couple times here where she talks about the maid and the gardener. We talk about it a little bit later in this chapter, and I read that, and I went, man, how much how much easier would that make this if we had a maid and a nanny and a gardener and a cook? If only <laughs> on my salary I could afford to hire multiple full-time helpers. How great would that be? That would be amazing. How much more incessant could you be with your parenting then? Incessantly watchful. Right? So she talks, she goes on to talk about these habits again. And says, you know, she compares them to a large sum of money that you can endow your child with. Mm-hmm. If if you can give your child, if, if a two months, two or three months work, or for, what was it, for a month of labor, you could give them a large sum of money. Would you do it? And the answer is yes, yeah. I would do that. And then she says, in a month, you can help them form a habit. Of such value that money is a bagatelle by comparison. I should have looked that up. Can you look up bagatelle? A bagatelle is a short piece of music typically for the piano and usually of a light, mellow character. Interesting. I was thinking a baguette. A little piece of bread that's hard as a rock. (laughs) Dumb bread. Worthless bread. Because it's hard. That's not what she was talking about. Clearly, which is good. So then she goes into her <laughs> fascination with the brain. Modern science shows us that we have a material record. Mm-hmm. We all know that we think as we are used to think, and we act as we are used to act. And ever since man has begun to notice the ways of his own mind, this law has been around. Yeah. And basically, people have acted on it. But now we know scientifically how to lay that down those laws to form habits 
Yep. And then she goes into talking about an issue that I have. I'm always telling her, always telling mm-hmm. her to do this and this. And it's dull because it's hopeless. You go on telling to deliver your own soul, for you have long ceased to expect any result. And we know how dreary is work without hope. So I'm guilty of this. I tell the kids something and then turn my attention away. And they don't do it. And I turn back and I'm like, I told you to do this. And then I turn my attention away. And they don't do it. And they don't do it. Because Mm -hmm. I have trained them that they don't need to do it when I tell them the first time. Mm -hmm. So that's something I've been becoming more aware of and trying to fix. Gotcha. That gets really frustrating. It's so frustrating. Especially at night when I tell them to lay down and be quiet. And you tell them and they stop and they be quiet and they lay down and go to sleep. That's because enough heads have rolled when they don't. And <laughs> and I don't like making heads roll. And I make them roll. Roll, baby, roll. <laughs> and and we see the result. Yeah. We see the difference in the behavior that comes when you say it versus when I say it. Yeah. And it's it's... It's interesting and telling. It is. I, I have I have less. I've always had less patience for that than I think you have. The I told you to do this and you didn't do it. I'm telling you again and you better do it. And that that's something I'm excited to be specifically in this house. We we now have a four bedroom house. It's all on one level. Mm-hmm. We have a playroom. We we will have we have a school table that we can use. We have things that can help facilitate me being more watchful and more intentional with the kids. Right. And we have almost two year olds instead of one year olds. Yes. And I think that will help almost more than anything else. Yeah. Although we'll be parenting them too, so who knows? So it's it's something that I I want to work on this this mm-hmm. coming year, especially with with the habit of doing things the first time, right? And even honestly, even the habit of picking up your stuff when you're done with them. No, no, you're not you're not done. You you haven't finished your task. You have to go pick that up. Mm-hmm. No, you're not fully dressed. Your clothes are still on the floor. You have to go pick your clothes up. Yeah. Well, and honestly... And I need to say that to myself, too. Yeah, I do the same thing. Uh, It's a lot like cleaning up after uh, after dinner. Our kids have gotten pretty good at taking their plates and taking care of them and their forks and silverware and cups and everything else. And we have a dishwasher now. We have a dishwasher, so it's great. They can actually wash their own dishes. It's wonderful. But they've gotten into that habit because we've beat it into them. And by beat it into them, I mean, it, it's been a thing we've done for the last at least two years. I don't know how much we did it in Austin. They had to take their plates to the, to the counter. I believe it. I just don't remember. But I, I know it's been a constant thing in Virginia. And, and often I felt like a, a broken record. But... But that's what it takes. But that's that's what it took, was to constantly be there to remind them so that they get into a habit of it. And at this point, at least the, the older ones are in a pretty darn good habit. And even Abigail, to a certain extent, is in a pretty good habit of, you're done, you take your stuff. Mm-hmm. So then, as she's talking about this, this mother who is always telling, she... She is disappointed in herself and doesn't raise bad children, but they don't have the specific habit that she wished to train them in. But they grow up warm-hearted, good-natured, bright young people, by no means children to be ashamed of. All the same, the mother's sense of failure is a munition to be trusted. Munition? A warning of impending danger. Our failures in life are perhaps due for the most part to the defects of our qualities. Therefore, it's not enough to send the children into the world with just the inheritance of character. 
that they get from their parents. And again, back to chapter nine for treatment of defects of character. Yeah, we need to grow proper character in our children. So then she gets into some practical counsel and she has nine things here she walks through and then a final over-encompassing point. And I wrote these down in the margin here just because I thought it was it was interesting. And, and the first is that the habit is in the brain. And so if there's a bad habit, then you cease the habit, a complete, absolute cessation of the habit for a considerable space of time, say six to eight weeks. Third is during that habit, you form a new habit. During that time. And fourth, the new habit has to be attractive. And fifth, as the old habit usually arises from the defect of some quality of the child, it shouldn't be difficult from the parent who knows his child's character to introduce the contrary good habit. So number five, know your kid. So six is you introduce the habit. Then seven, you don't tell the new habit, you stimulate the idea. So you're not, you're not telling him, hey, instead of doing this, you need to do that. Well, it's like that example of the duke and the child. Exactly. On the bed. It's not that the mom was telling the child, okay, I'm going to tell the story to you so that you will get up in the morning. She told the story to the kid so the idea would imprint on the kid's head so that he would wake up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, number eight is you watch for that old bad habit. And when you see it, number nine is let the old fault, should the old fault recur, do not condone it. Let the punishment, chiefly the sense of your estrangement, be acutely felt. Let the child feel the shame not only of having done wrong, but of having done wrong when it was perfectly easy to avoid the wrong and do right. And then the last point here, the the overall thing, pray. Pray, watch unto prayer. Teach your child dependence upon divine aid in this warfare of the spirit. So pray for your child. Teach your child to pray for himself, herself. Take hold of the divine. Call upon the Holy Spirit for aid. Call upon the Holy Spirit for aid. Invite the Holy Spirit to aid you and be open to it. I didn't look this up previously, but watch unto prayer. Isn't that what Jesus says in the garden right before his death? First uh, Peter 4, 7, but at the but the end of all things at hand, be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. So, yeah, all of these all of these points are true and do all of these things. Steps one through nine. But above all else, pray. Yeah. So those are her. That's her simple nine step method towards was interesting, as you were reading those, a lot of those steps aren't physical things to do. Mm-mm. I mean, the first one is, hey, just remember, it it's an actual record in the brain. Yeah. Uh, and then just remember, <laughs> you need to say, cease the habit. Yeah. Or no, that one is cease the habit for six to eight weeks. And then it's number three is, remember, this is where you're healing and growing mm-hmm. and new connections. And then number four. So action step is two and four. So stop the habit, start a new habit, introduce a new habit. So it yeah. was, it's interesting how she, 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 it's not a list of actions. It's a practical counsels that are numbered. Yeah. Yeah. And then she gives an example. Susie's story. I thought this one was fun. It's cute. <laughs> she knows everything. Anything that happens in this place, she knows. She's there. See, this is where I I have a hard time de- determining both what is the root of the bad habit. Because the root of Susie's bad habit is that she knows everything and she's curious about everything the the root of the habit is that she's curious about everything and she just wants to know stuff 
that's the root of it. Mm-hmm. And so, so then and just finding that root and then finding the alternative. Mm-hmm. I guess that's where counseling could come into play. Yeah. Family, family counseling. And mm-hmm. That's actually a pretty that's brilliant a really idea. That's a good idea. Go, go talk to someone who can, who can have a. A more impartial. Yeah. Impartial backed view. Backed up view because they're not literally dealing with it. They're not incessantly watching it. Right. They can take a step back and see the situation for what it is, which is oftentimes when I'm starting to experience this again, when I come home from work into a situation where the banshees are flying and hell and brimstone is firing and the house is underwater and I walk into the situation and a lot of times I'm able to deduce what's going on and help solve problems because I haven't been a part of it all day. I heard from someone, a pastor's wife, that they would do couples counseling together. And so she was the talkative one. She would get the story out. She, the, the, the conversation would flow and all of this information and all of this baggage and all of this stuff would come and, and then they would pause and then come back for another session. But when she came home, she's like, there's all of this stuff. I don't know what to do. And her husband, the pastor, goes, well, here's the boxes. Here's the actual issue. Here's what's going on. <laughs> She's like, oh, well, now that makes sense. <laughs> and then as as a couple and as a pastor and a, the pastor's wife, they were able to go to that that couple and be like, okay, here it is. So they, they tag teamed where she got the... the she got them to talk and She the got stories. the information and he was able to parse it. Interesting. Where in this case, you know, it would be... The mother going, there's all this stuff. Susie knows all this stuff. And somebody else goes, okay. So she wants to know things. She's always curious. Let's give her something to be curious about. Mm -hmm. Let's give her something that will employ all her prying proclivities. (laughs) And then she should fill her mind with that, with these large matters, so that she can't entertain these small ones. But again, you, the parent, have to be involved directly to be able to to make that determination. Yeah. I will say, though, this is is the story where there's a cook. And a a nurse. There's a nurse. That's two individuals on staff at the house. (laughs) Yeah. We need to get to that point. How great would that be? Have a cook and a nurse. Someone to do all of the cooking and the dishes. And then someone to do all of the cleaning and all of the laundry. And the little child taking care of. And the little child taking care of. Hey, the child is crying and just needs to be held. Hold the child. But no, I get to hold my child on my back. But, but you get to hold your child. Yeah, Crystal definitely had. We were, as we're moving into this house, we were cleaning the garage or uh, organizing the garage so that we could move our old dilapidated car in there so that I can fix it. And so we're, we're rearranging and moving stuff and we've been at this all day. And Isaac just, he, he was, was at his so wits done. end. He was done. He was hungry. He was tired. He was frustrated. It was hot. He was hungry. That boy gets hangry so bad. He was hungry. <laughs> and so Crystal held him for a while, just sitting down in a chair. And then she started to do stuff again. And he was hungry. And so she put on a hiking pack and was like, your kid, just be on my back. And he was he was perfectly happy and content. I probably should have buckled him because he kept standing up. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, but up yeah. until up until the point that Lily saw, and then she was like, "Oh, I want to be up on mommy's back too." And I don't know if you noticed, but I very quickly, Lily, let's go this way and get you I some water that and do the so thing. Much. And- <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> then, but then the instant I took it off, she went to the bag and got in it. She, oh, would, she climbed in? Oh, yeah. She <laughs> she climbed into the backpack and oh, was sitting funny. there, up, up. <laughs> Do you want me to pick you up? Up. Up, up. Oh, That's gosh. why I was carrying her around I didn't bit, know too. that she climbed in it all by herself. Mm-hmm. Wow, that girl. Yep. That's funny. Yep. So th- so she ends she ends the chapter on this story with Susie. And it's a fascinating little story. It's the idea that there's an issue 
But the issue isn't necessarily what it seems. The issue is not that Susie's a, a nosy little girl who wants to know everything. And so she's getting into trouble knowing things that she shouldn't because she wants to know everyone's dirty little secrets. She just wants to know everything. Yeah. And and the house is affording her the opportunity to know things about other people. Right. And so the solution is not to punish her for knowing things and snooping around. The punishment is, or, is, or the, the solution is to give her a place to snoop around that's good. Yeah. And, and kindle that curiosity and move it towards something good. Above all, watch unto prayer and teach your child dependence upon divine aid in this warfare of the spirit, but also the absolute necessity for his own efforts. Thank you for listening. Join the conversation with us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter.